years ago through a man named Paul who encountered Jesus and had his life interrupted in the most incredible way, as many of of you have as well. And we're picking up in Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to make some comments after I read because we have passed over a portion uh, of 14, and I'll tell you why here in just a moment. Um, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who you reproached fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Father, I ask once more that you would use your word in the hearts of your people. I pray that you feed your sheep this morning and that those might be outside of the fold drawn in and trust you. I have no power within myself, so Holy Spirit, speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So we finished up our last message with a brief uh, intermission uh, for Christmas in chapter 14 of Romans and Paul uh, was speaking to the church um, about conscience and about not causing brothers and sisters to stumble over what you eat or drink or the decisions that you are making that are not clearly forbidden uh, in scripture uh, is a matter of conscience and a matter of love for that matter. And Pastor Randy did a phenomenal job, um, as many of you um, made note, uh, of setting that up and um, just really exposing some fallacies, I think, that we believe uh, about uh, our relationship with the Lord and how we are to flush that out in relationship with other people and the decisions that we make, all of it always undergirded by love. And that's what Paul goes on to say, and I believe... Pastor Randy kind of went ahead, even though what happens is Paul, he really just reiterates the argument. And I want to read a few verses just to kind of capture that without going into great detail. Um, We see in verses 14 uh, that Paul lays it on thick. He says, I know I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing in itself is unclean, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is. And then he closes out that entire argument by you, you better have this settled within your heart before the Lord, not before others, but you can have your conscience at rest. In fact, he says, it must be from faith. It must be from faith in the Lord Jesus that you eat or don't eat or that you celebrate this holiday or you don't celebrate this particular holiday or whatever decision you may make that is not explicitly outlined in Scripture You need to settle that with the Lord. And you need to give yourself to much prayer about those things. And you need to consult other people 
and, and, and their relationship and, and their maturity and, and, and consult uh, the church, those who, whom are your brothers and sisters uh, in working through that. And sometimes it gets messy and sometimes it's not as clear cut as maybe we would want it to be, as maybe I would want it to be. Um, he says in verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the main thing, beloved. It's not about what you eat and what you don't eat and what you drink and what you don't drink. And then basically, he says in verse 20, not basically, this is what he says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Don't make this a thing that it isn't. And with that said, we get to our text today on the cusp of whatever, whoever doubts in him is condemned if he eats, Paul says, because the eating is not from faith in the last verse of chapter 14. For whoever does not, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And that could be a host of things. And in the next verse, he didn't close the book in fact, I'll remind you that the chapters and the verses are not inspired of God. We have them as helpful little markers and tools to organize and even to, for myself to know where the sermon needs to stop, okay? But in verse 1, he says, we who are strong. Who's that? Who's those who are strong? Well, he's talking about those who are strong in faith. In faith. And... Before we get to um, the message this morning, just a little setup. Um, I realize more and more, and I, I think maybe some can join me in this thought process, that as I age, yes, I'm a young man, 33 years old. As I age, I realize more and more the importance of human relationships. I realize that human relationships are the most important stuff that life is made of. And with that comes the realization that it's also the most difficult, isn't it? The things that are most important tend to be the most difficult. And we realize that some relationships just, they seem to kind of fall into place naturally. But the more that you love, there are times where you'll come up to disagreement and have to work through things and family feud and fight. We, we, we realize that. It's in your family. It's in mine. So we ought not to be totally surprised that we bring it to the church as well. And that's why we have a letter like this, because God cares enough to point out where we're wrong and where we need to admit that we're wrong and where we need to forgive as we have been forgiven, yeah? And so here, the importance of relationships that's what this is. The message, if I gave it a title, would be Meaningful Relationships. Meaningful Relationships. And to summarize this morning, I'll say it this way. If you're a note taker, this is it. Through faith in Jesus, we have the meaningful relationships that we were made for. It's that simple. Through faith in Jesus, we have the meaningful relationships that we were made for. It starts with a relationship with Jesus, and that makes sense of all the others. And to kind of expand upon that idea this morning, I'll say it this way. I see in our text this morning as Paul speaks not just to the Romans, but to Big Branch Church. 
each of you here this morning. In Christ, in Jesus Christ, we have the pattern, we have the power, and we have the pardon that we need for meaningful relationships with one another. Let me say it one more time. In Christ, we have the pattern, we have the power, and we have the pardon that we need for meaningful relationships with one another. I see in chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong have an obligation. And I just want to draw our attention to this. Who likes obligation? No? No one's going to rush to raise their hands. But I want to just pose this question. What would the church, what would Big Branch Church, what would the county churches, what would the the tri-state church, let me say this. There are not a bunch of churches. There is one church of Jesus Christ. What if the church of Jesus Christ took seriously that God commands us to these things rather than reducing these things down to suggestions? Because what we do is we take this and we go gloss right by it. Did you hear the weight? You probably didn't. We who are strong have an obligation. We read that and we say, also, what you're saying is, this is probably what I ought to do if, if, if I find it convenient. Like, it, when there's room, this is what I ought to do with my life. When, when I can kind of move the pieces of my life around so that I can make this happen. I don't have room for weak people that I've got to put up with. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't have room or... or and and, and I, I want to say this on the onset. Paul doesn't, like draw boxes and make categories and put people in them, he recognizes that these categories exist. There is a difference. Like he's not making, as you and I might, because we do, don't we? We make categories and we make boxes and we've got people in those boxes with labels. Mature. Immature. Grow up. Impressive. Check me out. Oh, my goodness, here he is again. We do it. Own the problem. Confess it before the Lord. Realize your obligation. And in studying, alone with the Lord, I came to realize, as, as other pastors who've gone before me, they, they realize, as, as Paul is saying here, every single one of us needs to change. When Paul says... We who are strong, he's not like, you who have arrived, (laughs) you who've arrived, you've got to put up with those who haven't. That's, That's not the tone, that's not the tenor of what Paul is saying here. In fact, what he what he what we might say is that those who maybe are weak in the faith, they need to grow in their knowledge of of what God has done. And those who are have made growth in those areas need to grow in love, don't they? We need to grow in love. And, and really, both groups need to grow in love. And to be honest with you, this is how I've kind of put the pieces together as to, you know, because we want to say, well, am I weak or am I strong? Like, in, in the room, you want to start, like, assessing yourself. So is, am I the weak one or am I, am I the strong one? Like, which, where do I fall? And who's he speaking? He's speaking to all of us. God is speaking to every single one of us. 
He is speaking to me. And he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Because that comes so naturally, doesn't it? It does. Whether you're weak, whether you're strong, it doesn't matter. But this is it. The weak, you know who the weak ones are? They're the ones who imagine that they're strong. You get it? The weak are the ones who think that they are strong. Previously, they're the ones that Paul's saying, they think that they're so spiritual because of all the things that they avoid. (laughs) You can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. I'm not doing all those things, so here I am. Check me out. Get in line and follow suit. That's not it. That's not it. The strong know they're weak. The strong, that's who the strong is. If you're strong in the faith, it's, you're, you're not out here flexing, okay? I wish I wore a tighter shirt so you really could have gotten that. <laughs> I haven't been in the gym in a while. It, it would have not been impressive. So the weak imagine they're strong, and the strong, they know they're weak. And that's, that's Paul. He knows how weak he is. Chief of sinners, he says. One who was born at, at, an unlike, at the wrong time and, and for the wrong p- purpose. And Jesus came to me, Paul says. Unworthy. It's all upside down, isn't it? That's, that's how Jesus, that's how he rolls, by the way. He turns all of it up on, up on its head. I like how Eugene Patter- Peterson once said, Strength is for service, not status. He said a lot better than I did, all that other stuff. Strength is for service, not status, right? And that, I think, is, is the, the heart of Paul here. And know that every one of us who have trusted Jesus, sometimes we'll, we'll give testimony and we'll stand and we'll praise his name and we'll say, my life was radically changed. Well, here I am to edit your testimony as I have to edit mine once I realize how... I don't say this for you to over-the-top analyze what people say or even yourself, but I confess Wednesday night that I can tend to be overly analytical. I want to edit your testimony in mine. We are changing. We are a life that is changing. My life has changed. That's almost like, well, you're done. You're not done. I'm not done. We are all of us, no matter where you are. And you can't chart it on a plot graph. There, it's, this thing's not so linear that, oh, here, here we are, that, yep, yep, yep. No, what happens is all of us are being conformed. We are being made into a pattern that is resemblance of Jesus. You look like Jesus. And I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. One of the greatest compliments I have ever received and can ever receive is when someone sees me and they say, Michael, you look a lot like your dad. Some of you know my situation. My dad is no longer with us. He's looking upon the face of Jesus. But when someone tells me that I look like my dad, I can't help but connect the dots and say, that's what we want. That's what we want. Because Jesus looks an awful lot like his dad. And anybody who he's con- he's being, he is being conformed into that same image is going to look an awful lot like the dad, the heavenly father. And that's a good place to be. And all of us are looking a little more like dad. Not of our own, let's go at it again. 
not the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The most meaningful relationships on the planet. And that's what, we're, that's what Paul's getting at here. The most meaningful relationships on the planet are brothers and sisters in Christ helping one another to know, follow, and love Jesus. It really is. That's what it is. That's the point and purpose of the church. And that really is, as, as I think it, Paul says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that the church is building itself up in love. When we are at our best, that is the purpose of the church, to be working together. There should be caution tape and, and orange cones all over this place. All right? You go through Chesapeake, and I, we've got some C.J. Hughes folks in here. You go through there and you think, this, this construction process is never going to be over. That's what it ought to feel like and look like here in the church too, by the way. You ought not to be surprised when there's construction going on. Lives being changed and we're building and we're moving and we're, sometimes it requires demolition. Right, destroying some of those lies that you've believed and confessing some of that sin that you habitually have fallen into. Somewhat made my first point, this pattern that we're being formed into is Jesus. For Christ, it says, Paul says, God says in verse 3, did not please himself, the pattern, as it is written. The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. And then he goes on to say, for whatever was written in former days were written for our instruction. Psalm 69.9, he's reaching all the way back to the Old Testament. By the way, Jesus doesn't just show up out of thin air in the New Testament. He doesn't just drop down, never, never seen or heard to that, up to that point. He's making his presence known anywhere and everywhere, all through the pages, from Old Testament into New. The New Testament makes more sense of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament tends to make sense of the New. The more we lean into it. And the pattern that I see is this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Here's the pattern. It is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind is yours. Act upon it. Because your status before the Lord is always going to inform your activity and your behavior. And I harp on that a lot because you've got to get it. You're a human being before you're ever a human doing. And that matters. So who you belong to will inform what you then do. How did Jesus embody this? Because Christians, we often, we talk the talk, but how seldom is our walk in line with the talk? Well, that's what Jesus does. He shows up and he, he walks the talk. He talks and then he walks and then he walks and then he talks. That's the pattern. How did he embody this? With the help of um, English pastor, uh, I think it was uh, late 1700s, his name was Charles Simeon, faithful pastor, put up with, with so much. And he embodied, as best a man can, laying down his life for the local church and just giving himself. And this is what he says that Jesus does to embody 
this kind of love that Paul's calling us to as he was the one who did not please himself. How did Christ not please himself? Well, he draws our our attention to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law could not, weakened by the flesh, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came, as we were reminded yesterday, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And in doing that, God condemned sin in the flesh. He goes on, he, he, he points us to John 17, verse 5, where God says, through, through the Son says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I once had with you before the world existed. He left. How did Jesus not please himself? He left the glory that he once shared with the Father in eternity past to come to this ditch that we call earth. as as messy as it is, and came and walked among among us so that he could die the death we deserve. He goes on and says, he worked as a carpenter for 30 years for heaven's sake. An ordinary nine to five, we might call it today. God did that. Have we lost all of who he is? God clocked in for work this morning. He wielded a hammer that later on would be wielded against him, bearing the nails in his wrists for you and me. He had no home to lay his head. He was accused of being a deceiver, a blasphemer. He was even accused of being a business partner with Satan. His own family said he was out of his mind. Not to please himself, he did this. He did this for you. He did this for me. The drops of blood that he endured before the cross in the garden, realizing what lied ahead. And then ultimately leading up to death upon a cross. In some, Jesus is our elder brother and boss who doesn't just tell you what to do on the job site, but he gets down with you and does it. And then he doesn't leave the site. He stays right there along with you every step of the way. So we have a pattern. Then we have the power. And the Holy Spirit, notice in this passage, we don't see mention of the Holy Spirit directly. And I think for good measure, humility is the Holy Spirit's middle name. If you didn't know that, you can see it again and again and again. He's always behind the scenes making what what oftentimes we, we, we would say, well, that's theoretical, that sounds good. I mean, I wish that were true. The Holy Spirit takes this stuff and he makes it real, like in your life, where this stuff is not just up in the stars hanging, out of reach, but the Holy Spirit is the one who is the help, right? And we see that whatever was written in former days, even the Old Testament is beneficial for us through endurance and through the encouragement. The Holy Spirit, the helper, is the one who brings encouragement. Everywhere you see him, he is encouraging. He is the encourager. And sometimes he's encouraging by convicting you so that he can encourage you to follow Jesus. How important is it 
that as we read here, that Paul, he gives us a little peek into his own prayer. He breaks out in prayer in verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. How important is this unity and this togetherness and this harmony, as he chooses the word, for the church? How, how important is this? Like, is this a, is this a on, the, on the realm of important, fairly important, like of utmost importance, priority. It is so big. It is so big that in John 17, Jesus takes time that in his own prayer, listen to this. This is the prayer of Jesus. We might call this the Lord's Prayer. He says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. Hear the weight of the prayers of Jesus for you and I. That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He goes on, The glory that you've given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. This is prayer. Jesus bearing his heart, spilling his heart out to his Father so that the world may know. Talk about an influence upon those who are watching. That the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me the unity and the harmony that that is in Paul's heart is in the heart of Jesus for you and I, not just here on a page, but in this church, in this place, among this people. God so wants us and has purchased for us and has delivered his own son for us that we would be one. Get that. And don't get over it. And pursue it. If you pursue anything, pursue that. We have a group of people who sing every Sunday and lead us in vocal worship to the Lord. Because as we know, we worship God in everything that we do. Or we worship something else in what we do. In what we say, in what we think, and what we put our hands to. What we worry about. What we celebrate. There's something beautiful, and I don't know anything about music, but I like it. There's something beautiful called a, a harmony, isn't there? And last time I checked, there's something pretty impressive and about a harmony, about a, a three-part harmony. When you can blend those three voices together, all having a unique sound, but all going in the same direction. Is the destination not the same? When you hear a three-part harmony, the next time you do, and some of you don't know what that is, don't ask me, ask somebody who does know, okay? But this three-part harmony, and this falls flat every time, illustrations of who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit, we talk about illustrations, they always fall apart, but my imagination just 
says to me that we've got a three-part harmony, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is in perfect unity and wants to share that with us. And every time you hear a harmony, you're invited once more into union with Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and share that with your brothers and sisters. What an incredible thing that is. So we have the pattern, we have the power, and ultimately we have the pardon. Those of you who've known Jesus for decades, I'll be so bold to say, lift your hand if you've known Jesus for decades. Decades. There's, there's many of you who've known Jesus not just for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. How many of you all have mastered this unity and harmony thing? Throw the hands back up. Christianity 101 is Jesus comes into the world primarily not as a pattern by which we are to follow, but as our pardon for where we have blown it miserably. He is our pardon. Not only is he our pardon, our forgiveness of sin, but he is the perfection that we so need. Do you get this? Christianity 101 is not come and be awesome or come join those who are awesome. Team awesome. Everything is awesome. Join the Lego choir. That is not what the church is. The church is come and be forgiven. Christ Jesus was crucified for sinners and you are one. And so this pardon that you have received, you've got a pattern, you've got the power. The Holy Spirit provides the power for us to, to come together and settle our differences and love one another, unlike anyone else in the world has loved one another. Jesus shows up and he says, I didn't come for the righteous. People are accusing him of hanging out with sinners, eating. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners, for God's sake? Who in the world do you think you are? And he looks at him and says, folks, that's all there is. I came not for the righteous, but for the sick. They need a doctor. You need a doctor. Not a pep talk. Go out, get back in the game. You'll do better this round. You need to be forgiven. As we were reminded just the other day, we had the opportunity to go to a Christmas Eve service, and it was, it was so precious. And I was reminded, as I heard from John chapter 1, that we have to be born of God. You have to be born again into this thing. You don't just show up and say, yeah, I'll take my best go at it. Because you'll fail, and you'll fail, and you'll fail, and you'll fail. And that's why you have to look upon the Savior, his fulfillment that was carried out in his life and death upon that tree. So let me apply this before we send you packing so that you can live in this unity because it matters not. If you hear this and you're just hearers of a good tale, but you don't do a thing with it. Here it is. Do you see those around you? Let me ask it again. Do you, do you see those around you? I was just talking to a friend the other day, and he talked about how his, one of his children, they see those around them, and they make it known. 
And you know in the room, you know who it is that sees you and who's just pretending. Sees you and loves you and cares for you. And can you be that person by God's power? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Take notice of those around you and realize that we're in this together. And brothers and sisters is not just some weird Christian lingo that we throw around. See you later, brother. See you, sis. No, we really are family, folks. We're family. Let me say this, too. God is not a means to an end. God is a means to God himself. Do you know how easily we can even take this and say, well, I'll use God to have a better family. I'll use God to have more money in my bank account. I'll use God, don't we all? I'll use God to get this fixed in my life. God is a means to God. And when we have relational harmony and unity, it's because we're getting God and we're sharing him with one another. God is not a means to you 2.0 because sometimes that's what we hear Christianity is. It's a better you. It's not. I just said it. You need to be born again. You need to be dead and raised from the, from, from the dead just like Jesus Christ. And following Jesus, right now I want you to ask yourself this. Following Jesus, who is that leading you to? Because following Jesus inevitably leads to people. You don't follow Jesus into a monastery, into a cave somewhere by yourself. You follow Jesus into meaningful relationship where you're giving and receiving. How much margin is left for pride, for jealousy, for bitterness, for fear, when the number one priority that you have is people seeing and experiencing the personality of Jesus. How much room is left for you being jealous of your brother or your sister? How much room is there left for you to harbor bitterness and anger at a decision that someone has made that you don't agree with? How much room is left when you want that person and these people to see Jesus? Not much. None. And... and, and before I land the plane, how, how often do we get this book wrong? We, we, we preach from it every week. We do our best to spend a little bit of time in it, our own time. But we'll call this a personal manual, right? Folks, this word that is given to us is to be shared in relationship. The best Bible reading you've ever done is not by yourself. And I do it all the time every week. It is sharing it with other people in the church and outside these walls. So you've not had good Bible study until you're taking it to someone else. We get it wrong. I get it wrong. And I'm convicted. And then finally, as we heard, Paul say, 
We heard John. We we heard Paul say in Philippians, we we heard in John Jesus pray for this. But listen, as he wraps up this section, therefore welcome one another as Christ Jesus has welcomed you. Have you lost sight of that? Have you lost sight of the welcome that you have received in Christ Jesus? Some of us have a mat laying right in our doorway. It says welcome. And with that, you intend for people to come inside your home, don't you? Do you realize the welcome that has been not just extended, but God has welcomed you into his home For you to turn around and do the same, invite people into your home, your life, my life. This is not convenient, is it? It kind of carries the weight of we who are strong have an obligation, doesn't it? You won't do it and can't do it, and neither will I, unless we look to Jesus and we depend upon the Spirit to bring this to bear in our own lives. Our welcome by Jesus compels us to the same, to welcome other people to the degree that we've been welcomed. And we know we can't outgive or outwelcome Jesus, but we're going to try our best, aren't we? We're going to say, come, come, come. Come see Jesus. Paul says, follow me as I'm following him. This ain't about me. This is about him. We say not I but Christ, but you've heard it so many times, you don't hear it anymore. If you'd rise to your feet with me. Threw a change up on you. Because normally it's, let's stand. Pray with me. Father, in this place, these are people. People that you care about tremendously more than I do. But God, I want to care more, and I do. I care for these people. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten up here and given them your word. I'd try to impress them. I'd try to point them to me. I'd try to make them laugh. And, but God, I, I, I want them to see and know Jesus, and I want to see you in them, and I want to see you working through them. And I want to see this place become the place that we say it is, a welcoming and loving group of people because they've been with Jesus. I remember that in the New Testament, the record of people, it was, there was no question about it. These people have been with Jesus. They're uneducated. They're untrained. They don't, they're fishermen for heaven's sake. Nothing against fishermen. God uses all kinds, and there's all kinds in this room, and there's all kinds out there that need to come on in. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that your word will convict our hearts, would encourage us. If folks need to come to this altar and kneel and pray and ask that you help them to forgive someone, if they need to go to someone, they need to do whatever's necessary to promote this unity that you have won for us. I pray that they do it, and I pray that I'll do it. I pray that I'll model it. And maybe you're in this place and this stuff doesn't make sense. And you heard a guy rambling. Jesus is the Son of God. 
and he has come. He has come for sinners. Those who do not love God, who do not follow God, who are not about God. That is any and everyone. And you can be set free by simply calling upon the name of Jesus, trusting in the fact that he did come. He came as a baby that grew grew into a man who lived and died a death that you and I could not die to pay for sin. And he rose and he is risen. And we call on his name even now in this prayer. And this prayer is meaningless if this not be true. If you want to call upon Jesus to be forgiven of your sin this morning because you've never done so, I'd like to invite you. Is there anyone here this morning who would acknowledge I'm, I simply want to pray for you and potentially lead you to Jesus. Would you just lift your hand? Anybody in this place this morning? I see that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand. Let me say this. Um, you come to Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And he does. In full. And then you mess up again. I mess up again. And you know his forgiveness still stands. You need not be saved again and again and again. And maybe somebody needs to hear that this morning. Those of you who raised your hand, maybe that's you. Maybe you have asked him to forgive you and you're just not where you need to be in your life and truth be told none of us are in that sweet spot we're all a changing life but you can just confess your sin before him and he'll say yeah I've forgiven that too but if you know that you've never been forgiven of your sin you can call upon him now and want to invite you to do that you simply call upon him and say Lord Jesus forgive me I do believe that your death upon a cross was enough even to forgive me of all that I've said and done and thought. And that even, I'm going to believe, I know it's hard to believe that it pays for the sins that I will commit, not just the ones I have. So save me and help me to follow you in Jesus' name. you've asked him to save you this morning would you lift your hand and say yes I have I've asked him to save me today church respond to the Holy Spirit in Jesus name amen as we sing